So the subject, the title of my um, uh, presentation, my paper is so what, so what did Mubarak do? The causes of the 2011 Egyptian revolution according to Egyptian intellectuals. Revolutions are not typical of the Egyptian political culture. Events that Egyptians call revolutions in their modern history were either uprisings triggered by specific events such as the 1919 revolution or military coups such as the 1952 revolution. I define revolution as a peaceful or violent massive protest massive popular uprising that seeks to uproot a certain ruler or regime, and oftentimes, it's a system of values. However, the Egyptian uprising that began on the 25th of January 2011 was a revolution par excellence. So what did Mubarak actually do that led him to become the first head of state in, the modern, in Egypt's, modern, Egypt's modern history to be removed from power by revolution and subsequently put on trial? I seek to answer this question by discussing the views of four Egyptian intellectuals on the most serious problems with Mubarak's regime. I also discuss how these intellectuals may have influenced public opinion and contributed to setting the stage for the revolution itself. The four intellectuals whose writings I discuss are Yahya Gamal, Abdel Halim Kamdil, Magdi Ahmad Hussein, and Farouk Boyd. They fairly represent the spectrum of the main ideological trends in Egypt. Yahya Gamal is a liberal professor of law at Cairo University who maintained a good relationship with subsequent Egyptian regimes without being directly affected with, affiliated with them. Abdel Halim Kandil is a journalist with socialist Nasserist leanings. He was a founding member of Kifaya, a political opposition movement established in 2004 that campaigned against Mubarak's re-election as well as his plans to transfer power to his son, Gamal. Magdi Ahmed Hussein is an Islamist political activist and journalist and a leading member of the Socialist Labour Party, which Mubarak banned in 2000. Farouk Boueda is a prominent poet whom I take to represent Egyptian intellectuals who are not officially affiliated with a specific political trend. Thank you Whereas Gamal chose to address Mubarak in public in a non-confrontational manner, Kandil and Hussein chose an open, uncompromising confrontation with his regime. I use a letter to Mubarak that Gamal published in 2008, a collection of newspaper articles that Kandil published in the same year in a book entitled A Red Card to the President, Kart Ahmar al rais and the 2008 article by Magdi Hussein, where he discusses how Mubarak's, that was in fact the title of the article, Mubarak's associates were the most serious or are the most serious in preparing for the popular revolution. I also discuss an article that Gueda published three months after Mubarak's fall and entitled, For These Reasons, the Revolution Has Broken Out. So what did Mubarak actually do? Poverty, turning Egypt into a police state, corruption, foreign policy that people regarded as unpatriotic, and the grooming Mubarak's son to succeed him, were the issues that these Egyptian intellectuals presented as having been the main problems with the Mubarak regime. Now, I, I don't have time to speak or to mention who said what, so I'm just uh, talk very broadly and generally about what uh, they agreed on. But were these enough to cause the revolution? Were some issues more important than the others? Are there any underlying factors that connect these issues together? Poverty, and perhaps more importantly, the tragedies that it led to during Mubarak's last years 
were listed among the main features, or the, sorry, the main failures of his regime. However, modern studies on revolution have demonstrated that, more often than not, revolutions occur during a period of short-term recession that follows a longer period of economic growth. Indeed, according to the UN Human Development Index, which measures life expectancy, literacy, education, and standard of living, whereas Egypt was a low human uh, development country in 1980, so one year before, before Mubarak assumed office, it became a medium human development country in 2010, which I think agrees with uh, what Dr. Hanaya said about Egypt being a model um, at that time, in the 2000. This overall improvement may, of course, conceal important failures and injustices, and it definitely does not mean that all classes of the Egyptian society benefited equally from, from Mubarak's policies. However, it does indicate that it's simplistic to assume that economic conditions were solely or primarily responsible for the revolution. The same applies to political factors. Although the crackdown on, on any organized opposition continued under Mubarak, there was an undeniable improvement in political freedoms when compared with Nasser's and Sadat's eras. In fact, it was this relative political freedom that made it possible for Egyptian intellectuals to criticize the regime and the president himself. Furthermore, it's hardly possible to characterize the Mubarak regime as having been isolated, either domestically or internationally. It maintained a good degree of support from domestic elite that partnered with and benefited from it and had strong foreign connections. It seemed stable as the American Secretary of State asserted in the first few days of the revolution. This means that if we are to accurately account for the 2000 Egypt, 2011 Egyptian revolution, we cannot rely solely on traditional structuralist theories that don't appreciate the idiosyncrasies of revolution as a human experience that must be understood in its cultural context. Many scholars of revolution have noted the inadequacy of theories that focus on socioeconomic conditions, but disregard subjective factors and downplay the role of human agency people's feelings, culture, and ideology. They emphasize that culture, ideology, and the role of intellectuals in maintaining the, the values of legitimacy must be stressed in the formation of preconditions of revolutions. Accordingly, revolution occurs when a ruler has lost his legitimacy in the view of considerable majority of his people, whereas hatred to him, sorry, whose hatred to him becomes the passion that unites them. Therefore, a theory is needed that can account for the fact that similar or even worse economic and political conditions prior to Mubarak did not lead to a full-scale uh, revolution against his predecessors. The writings that I discuss can be helpful in this regard, although they address pressing political and economic issues that had a direct impact on the lives of millions of Egyptians. They frame these issues in a wider context of a regime that has lost its legitimacy and should not, therefore, be forgiven for its economic failure or any suppression of political freedoms. In order to understand why Mubarak lost his legitimacy, its origin and basis must be examined first. The Mubarak regime presented itself as an extension of the regime that the 1952 military coup established. This coup toppled what was presented as a corrupt and arrogant monarchy that served the interests that served its interests rather than those of Egypt and the Egyptians, and one that surrendered to the British occupation. The 1952 coup set up a new system based on a particular rhetoric that presented 
that presented it as an antithesis of the old regime. The leadership of the country came from among the Egyptians themselves, not from foreign or aristocratic families, and was committed to serving the interests of the public. It also pledged to create a just society that protected the dignity of the poor by redistributing wealth and a sound democratic system that truly represented the entire society. Later, when Egypt was presented as, a, as part of a larger Arab world, this legitimacy extended to uh, include a commitment to support the Arab cause, and particularly the Palestinian question that assumed or that became the key Arab issue. Because of the popular support of this group, the three officers called it a revolution, and it became the Egyptian National Day. Mubarak was born in a relatively poor family and was raised up in the countryside. He joined the military and assumed prominent ranks until he was appointed director of the Egyptian Air Academy by Nasser himself in 1967. He was a commander of the Egyptian Air Force during the October 1973 Yom Kippur War, which is the Egyptians regard as a great military victory over Israel. In 1975, he was selected as vice president by President Sadat, another member of the three officers, a position that Mubarak held until Sadat's assassination in October 1981. Accordingly, Mubarak was in a position to claim that the legitimacy of his regime was an extension of the 1952 coup, in which occasion he used to address the nation every year and assert his commitment to the ideals and the goals of the revolution. To be sure, Mubarak's predecessors had varying degrees of success in realizing these goals, but their failure was blamed on imperialism that conspired against Egypt and the Arabs. Accordingly, the Egyptian opposition to Mubarak's predecessor did not typically question their patriotism, the only exception being Sadat after his visit to Israel in 1977 and his accusation by most Egyptian political trends of having betrayed the cause of the Egyptian and Arab nationalisms. Mubarak's era did not proffer similar possibilities of attributing failure to outside factors, especially after the conclusion of the 1979 Egyptian-Israeli peace treaty which Sadat promised would begin an era of peace and prosperity in Egypt. Arguably, it was Mubarak's reliance on the legitimacy of the 1952 coup to furnish the legitimacy of his own regime that led to his undoing when he failed to deliver on its promises and violated its terms. The Egyptian intellectuals described a regime that was similar in many respects to the regime that the three officers had overthrown and one that had, that had nothing to do with the principles of the 1952 revolution. <laughs> the corruption of the monarchy was an important aspect of the legitimizing rhetoric of the 1952 coup. Corruption, of course, continued to exist under Mubarak's two predecessors, but under Mubarak it was significantly different. The scale of this corruption, according to these intellectuals, was unprecedented, but most importantly, Whereas Nasser and Sadat themselves were not accused or never accused of corruption even after their death, it was at Mubarak's time that for the first time the head of state himself and his family were presented as a leader of, quote, a gang that was sucking the wealth of Egypt, according to Hussein and Kandil. Another significant break with the 1952 principles was Mubarak's foreign policy which three of the intellectuals presented as a clear indicator, or as clear indicators that Mubarak and his regime were not serving Egypt's national interests. Mubarak's decision to export Egyptian natural gas to Israel 
which most Egyptians still regarded as the foremost enemy of Egypt, was presented by Kandil and Hussein as clear act of treason, where, where the head of state sends its natural resources to its enemy. Mubarak's perceived siding with Israel against the Palestinian resistance since the late 1990s, and especially during the Gaza War in 2008-2009, was equally important in intensifying the perception of his regime uh, as unpatriotic. Mubarak's relationship with Israel was seen as part of his submission to the US, a submission that led in the view of these intellectuals to dwarfing the status of Egypt, which the Egyptians like regard as the most important regional power. The third important break with the 1952 legitimacy was Mubarak's attempt to reintroduce dynastic rule in Egypt. This was the only issue that none of the Egyptian intellectuals failed to note. And it was probably the most, sing the most important single cause that fatally eroded Mubarak's legitimacy. So what was the problem with these plans which were remarkably successful in another Arab country like Syria, at least until recently? Firstly, these plans were regarded by most Egyptians as a preach to the oath that Mubarak took every time he won presidential plebiscite or elections to respect the republican <coughs> system of Egypt. It's because of this oath that Mubarak and his son, up to a certain point, consistently denied his intentions to transfer power to Gamal, which is a clear recognition that that was a transgression, even if it was done constitutionally. <coughs> Secondly, this issue, in the view of this intellectual, linked other themes together. Gamal Mubarak was presented as the leader of the gang that exploited Egypt. He took control of the Egyptian economy, appointed businessmen, most of whom were his friends, in ministerial positions, allowing them to use state institutions to serve their own interests. Concessions in foreign policy were presented as a price that Mubarak had to pay to guarantee that the US did not oppose his plans, his succession plans. In addition to this, I argue that the writings of these intellectuals also indicate that Mubarak violated another essential element of his legitimacy. The three officers presented themselves as genuine Egyptians who lived in the same condition as the majority of the, of the society, of their society. In this political culture, a successful president needs to strike a fine, fine balance between maintaining the aura of reverence that surrounds his position and the ability to present himself as one of his people. Nasser, and to a large extent, Sadat was able to maintain this balance, which does not necessarily require more than performing some symbolic acts from time to time. In his first two terms in office, Mubarak was relatively successful, but that changed since the mid-1990s and increased significantly in his last few years. The mere publication of a letter to Mubarak which is what Tihel Gamal did, is indicative of the gulf that uh, separated him from the Egyptian intellectuals who always had access to previous residents and to Mubarak himself in the first, few, in the first uh, decade or so of his presidency. In fact, in the last 10 years before his fall, Mubarak canceled his annual meeting with Egyptian intellectuals on the occasion of the annual Cairo Book Fair more than once, evidently to avoid discussing particular events or hearing unpleasant criticisms of his policies. Mubarak's physical absence from Cairo, he was in the Red Sea, Sheikh uh, resort most of the time. Mubarak's physical absence from Cairo, which was noted by Kandil, was also symbolic of his distance from his people, as well as his failure to stay cognizant with the everyday life of the Egyptians.
is mockery of the Egyptian opposition that established a popular parliament in protest of the 2010 parliamentary elections fraud was also indicative of his disdain for public opinion, as Ouida has noted. In this understanding, it was not necessarily corruption per se that eroded Mubarak's legitimacy. It's more likely that it was his arrogant disregard of allegations about the corruption of his family members and the close associates, as well as his perceived sponsorship of this corruption that led to his fall. Mubarak's arrogance was mentioned explicitly by all of the Egyptian, uh, of the four Egyptian intellectuals. Gueda repeatedly referred to the extreme arrogance of the regime, whereas Kandil contended that Mubarak despised his people. He was never actually elected by them, Kandil says, so he did not feel any gratitude towards them. Gamal Mubarak's arrogant exercise of authority was also noted. He appointed and dismissed governments, drove ministers behind him in his local visits, surrounded by armies of security guards. Now, the truth about or the accuracy of these points is irrelevant. In fact, many of the things that Gueda mentioned in the first few, in the few years before Mubarak's fall uh, seems to have been uh, uh, exaggerations. Now, the truth about or the accuracy of these points is irrelevant. What is relevant is the arrogant disregard by the regime of the necessity of responding to them, which must have contributed to widening the gap between Mubarak and the Egyptians, and intensifying the perception of his regime as unpatriotic and illegitimate. Indeed, Mubarak's remarks, uh, sorry, Mubarak's remarkable underestimation of the seriousness of the protests that eventually removed him from power in January and February 2011 is probably the strongest evidence of his detachment from his people. For a president who lacked charisma and political skills, violating the basis, the basis of his tenuous legitimacy was failed. By their focus on the nature, this is my conclusion, by, the focus, by their focus on the nature and behavior of the regime itself, rather than on that of the opposition, the views of these intellectuals can contribute to our understanding of how Mubarak lost his legitimacy, as well as the spontaneous formation of a coalition of political forces that united around their hatred towards and rejection of the regime. According to Robert H. Dex, Revolutions typically occur and succeed when the ruling elite turns into a small clique centered around a personalistic dictator who in turns had become increasingly corrupt, repressive, and arbitrary, and who had increasingly preempted key sectors of the economy for himself and his associates. Over time, this kind of regime continues to narrow down its groups of associates and supporters and eventually turns most sectors of the society against it. This is the kind of regime that these Egyptian intellectuals describe. But these writings may have played a role in actually setting the stage for the revolution. Any revolution needs legitimacy. People need to be convinced that the revolution is justified. Ideologies can furnish such a justification, but in the case of the Egyptian revolution, it was these and similar writings that provided the revolution with moral ground by creating a public perception of the regime as one that failed to implement the terms of its legitimacy at best or deliberately betrayed its country at worst. Furthermore, presenting Mubarak as the only person who could actually save the country from a grim future, which was Gamal said to Mubarak in his letter, presenting Mubarak as the only person who could save the country 
from a grand future by making bold decisions, which, which Mubarak did not, not, did not do, indicating that he was unwilling to prevent the future, or by contending that his regime was either non, uh, not reformable or unwilling to reform, was a strong justification for a revolution against the regime for the lack of any other practical alternative. These writings may have also played a role in creating a public opinion against the regime by convincing people that others shared their grievances and doubts about it. Secondly, to participate in a revolution, people, par people and particularly those who call for the, uh, for the first protests, need to be convinced that there is a good chance of success. These writings may or must have created general perception that the regime was already on its deathbed and that it would not stand long for any serious domestic challenge. In fact, these intellectuals seemed certain that the conditions were favorable to an all-out revolution. In his letter, El Gamal warns against an upheaval that his scale could be devastating. Hussein spoke about the end of Mubarak, which was being brought out, well, sorry, was being brought about by his own regime. In 2008, Kandil asserted that Egypt was pregnant with the revolution. In fact, in an article that he published in March 2009, Kandil stated categorically that Egypt would change before the end of 2011, the date of the presidential elections, which was going to either keep Mubarak in power for a sixth term or transfer power to his son. This is what most Egyptians believed at that time. These writings must have created the general perception that the prospects of success of a revolution were high. In other words, these writings closed important gaps in the circle. It convinced people that others shared their hatred to the regime whose overthrow is now legitimate, and it convinced opposition and, opposition and activists that time was favorable for movement and that the masses were prepared for supporting them. Thank you very much.